My guest on this episode is Baz Dressinger. Baz is the founder of the Incarceration Nations Network. She's a professor that has dedicated her life to understanding the global prison system. She's been in 60 plus countries and is active in reform efforts in 60 plus countries. I recorded this interview four months ago, so this is prior to this moment we're living in right now, but I wanted to make sure that that in this week, we made sure to get this episode out there to you all. Her perspective is so important to me because a lot of times in America, it can feel like we're so unique, we can't learn from anyone, and also we're so horrific, we must be the only ones. And the truth of the matter is neither of those things are true. And so we need to constantly be looking around the world for how to do things better, not just in criminal justice reform, in every aspect. We need to believe if someone's on to something and having some sort of success, we should try it. (laughs) Even if we think maybe we are different, you know, Uh, maybe it won't work here. If someone's getting incredible results, we should fucking try it. Because our results, as we know, in criminal justice are just fucking atrocious. So as a country, we need to start embracing that more and more, that spirit. And she's just a wealth of knowledge. I learned so much every time I talk to her. She's got revolutionary energy, uh, which is always refreshing and fantastic to be around because that energy challenges me. If I'm compliant you know, to the system to a degree, if I'm, if I'm not thinking radically enough about reforms. So I absolutely love being around her for those reasons. And I think you'll definitely feel that from her too. So I, I really hope you enjoy the episode. She gets into... Uh, a little bit about restorative justice, which I think is a concept that most of America is not familiar with. It's a really beautiful concept. It's probably where we should be moving our criminal justice system in a lot of ways. And and I found that incredibly interesting. So without further ado, let's get into it. done something that not very many people have done. I don't know if anyone's done what you've done, which is go around the world and look at the prison systems all over the world. What is your big takeaway after doing so? Right. I can curse, right? You can. It's an adult (laughs) podcast. Um, Yeah. The big takeaway is uh, different country, same shit. Yeah. Um, The big takeaway seriously is that it's the same shit everywhere. The same idiocy around incarceration, um, the same way that incarceration is being used as a system of social control, the same way that it's this archaic system that doesn't make communities safer, the same punitive discourse, the same crises of reentry and reintegration. And I mean, that's not an accident, right? Because the fact of the matter is that the modern prison is a U.S. invention that was foisted on the world through colonialism and, and right. then through globalization. So it's not, it is this ridiculous cut and paste system of justice. And at this point it's become, I can't even count how many countries prisons I've been to. I don't know, it must be 50, 60. And at this point it's just become maddening 
when I go to a country and I have to listen to the people there moan and groan about their, you know, the people who care, who yeah. are our allies in this yeah. fight, moan and groan about the system as if they're, it's their unique problem. Right. And it's like, I'm hearing the same thing everywhere. And I think that that used to make me feel a sense of despair. And now it makes me feel incredibly angry. <laughs> and how ridiculous it right. is that we are still relying on this archaic system that doesn't make us safer, that is some medieval business, basically. As you see it kind of as this monolithic system now across the globe, what are the biggest, dumbest problems within that monolithic system? Well, the idea that if you take someone who generally comes from a background of challenge and trauma right. and who has committed an act of harm or not, and you respond to that act by putting them in a warehouse where they are further damaged and further traumatized, right. further alienated right. from a society that they were already to some degree alienated from, further distanced from family and other loved ones and meaningful human connection, and then afterward set them out in order to be discriminated against face total stigmatization right and then expect oh yeah that's gonna make us better that's gonna make that person better that's gonna make society better and that's gonna make the person who experienced the harm or was most directly impacted by that person's act of harm right. suddenly feel better it's like a ludicrous notion is there anyone around the globe that is using the carrot instead of the stick and like going after the issue by supplying more resources Definitely. And I mean, including certain projects here in the US. I mean, what, what I'm working on right now with the Incarceration Nations Network is really identifying those places where that is happening. Um, and that could be a particular small program. Yeah. Or it could be um, an entire country whose approach right. is impressive from government run programs to tiny NGOs to brand new programs to yeah. ones that have been, you know, working for decades. So I think when we think about, I hate the term best practices, right. and I think these things are really hard to measure, and we do our best with them. And I think, frankly, a lot of it is common sense <laughs> right. and not um, doesn't even require you know huge amounts of data because it's so commonsensical. 100%. Uh, but of course, everybody talks about Norway's prisons, the yeah. open prison model. What is um, an open prison model? An open prison is when it, a prison is porous and the people inside can go and work on the outside or go to school on the outside, have family leave, and maintain a sense of normalcy and also be close to their communities and not right. be in these warehouses. It's kind of a no-brainer that that's going to be a better situation. Why has Norway been able to avoid our exportation of our justice system? Why is there the political willpower or popularity in, in order to uphold it? It avidly chose a different system altogether. I always say that you can't just talk about Norway's prisons. You have to talk about its whole social right. structure right. and its uh, socialist leaning ways. And people say, oh, but Norway's rich. It's got oil. Well, it's actually the only country with oil to not and take we're doing it okay. and abuse it. We're doing yeah. okay here. Yeah. <laughs> the United States is doing all right. Exactly. With money too. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, there are a lot of theories. Nobody really knows, in a sense, why. It's not just Norway, it's Scandinavia. Finland is pretty amazing, too. But I think one of the other things that is so powerful about the Norwegian justice model is its corrections school, uh, how they train corrections officers. In fact, that you have to 
go through a very rigorous process that involves law, social work, psychology. It's a competitive job. Right. It's treated like a professor. I mean, it's a very well-respected profession. And that's true throughout Scandinavia. There's also, and this is something I've been learning a, a lot about recently, is mediation programs, community mediation programs, I think are incredible. The most powerful one is in Bangladesh, actually. Yeah. And it's on my agenda to visit. I haven't been yet, but it's an amazing model of community mediators. Both Norway, Finland, Sweden, all the Scandinavian countries also have strong government yeah. mediation departments. What did, just to go back for a second, what does community mediation look like? It means that there are community members out there in the communities. So when something goes wrong, before it escalates, these people can go get involved and mediate situations, whether it's family disputes, whether right. it's tensions in a particular neighborhood. We can even think of, I mean, violence interrupters like ceasefire, you know, some of the well-known programs that those are kind how, of community ceasefire mediation. Um, ceasefire has uh, gotten a lot, a lot of press in Chicago okay. and it's, it's violence interrupters. It's people in the community who are rooted in the community. It's kind of like what policing should be, right. <laughs> who when there is tension or when something happens, happens or where there's a particularly where there's a shooting i mean it's very focused on violence yeah. violence interruption we'll go to this the scene engage with the parties find out information it's again very common sensical you don't need you know a fancy yeah. degree to be able to do this you need to engage with people and we need to be involved in conflicts in communities before they even reach the criminal justice system I'm really invested in thinking about successful alternative to incarceration programs. And even though that's a term that I use with great loathing because alternative to incarceration implies like incarceration is the main event and we can find some little alternatives on the side right. when that's not the case. Like the full main course should well, be you an made alternative. A, you made a good point about like us not divorcing Norway's social programs and high safety net with their criminal justice system. Are we asking the wrong questions? How do we rewire that? It's a tough one because we, yes, when we talk about prisons and, and justice, we're really talking about the whole of a society yeah. and what produces crime in the first place and, and how do we build strong communities where there's opportunity and frankly, how do we eradicate inequality because that's what produces crime. Another right. very no-brainer correlation, right? The most unequal places have the most crime and the most violence and so it comes down to this much bigger question of how do we eradicate inequality now? And I think sometimes, and I admit to feeling, especially lately, very overwhelmed by trying to do justice work in yeah. any kind of vacuum. But at the same time, it's kind of all we can do for now. I'm here and we as a movement, you know, who are working with a focus on prisons are here to deal with what happens when the harm has been done. What happens when the, and, and I don't even say the crime has been committed. I say right. when the harm has been done. Like we're here to deal with harm. And we're also here to support the dealing with trauma, the dealing with inequality and see everything as having tentacles in that arena. But in a sense, we can't do it all. I went over your website before you jumped over here and, and I can see why you'd be disheartened. Some of the trends are disheartening. We have an increased population of people that are incarcerated globally. Is there any society that is trending upward in terms of like reforms and what you'd like to see? So far, I wouldn't say anyone is trending upward. Yeah. I mean, you know, the U.S. has some preliminary indications. I mean, right. we are starting to reduce numbers, but we're also increasing electronic monitoring and sure. e-incarceration and all that. Sure. So civil it gets liberties, tricky. All that stuff. Yeah, civil, yeah. yeah, that little thing. Um, <laughs> but I think that there aren't any countries that are 
moving in that direction, there are the ones that kind of already had these certain strong mm. practices. And those practices can be as big as the whole system, like a Scandinavian system, but they could also be certain strong government programs that have been around, that are robust, that are worthy of being examples to others. Believe it or not, I think about Singapore and its reentry. I wrote a chapter about Singapore in my book, and they have an incredible program getting people jobs and support when they come out of prison, along with this whole public campaign to impact stigma against yeah. people who've experienced the system. And that's really what I see INN as trying to do, is to say there are these pockets of progress and there are these strong programs. They just need support. They need cheerleading because everywhere in the, in the world, other than the US and a couple of other countries, predominantly in Europe, no one wants to talk about prison. No one wants to deal with it. It is extremely unpopular. And so any programs that are not hardcore tough on crime, right. any rhetoric that's not hardcore tough on crime just doesn't get any shine, doesn't get funding. In fact, this trip to Peru, I was also in Uruguay and Argentina. And in Argentina, I visited the, and this is saying a lot coming from me because I started a college program in prison that I'm enormously proud of and yeah. I think is fantastic. And I've taught in prisons all over the world to some of the most brilliant people in the world. I sat in this prison with the most incredible college program in any country in Argentina. More than 30 years old, they're giving hundreds of people degrees in wow. economics, philosophy, law. These were, I mean, these guys just blew me away. And it's also in great jeopardy of being shut down. So it's a constant to be traveling and seeing these programs, getting really excited about them, yeah. and then learning because of either a shift in government and this program gets associated with the last, you know, for either because of politics or because of public discourse and the extreme unpopularity of this issue, things are getting shut down. So what we are trying to be as a network is a cheerleader for these good programs right. and these places, these pockets of momentum and movement towards progress. When you bring this stuff back home, right? You go around the world, <laughs> you figure out, I know you hate the term, best practice. What, what, <laughs> strong what, practices. Strong practices. Yeah. Okay, well you see these strong practices and you go back home, you're like, great, I want us to integrate these things. What are your biggest barriers to that? Is it culture and to your point, like, hey, it's just politically popular to say I'm tough on crime. Is it the sheriffs or whoever's running the, the prison systems? What is the biggest barriers? It depends on the country. In the U.S., I don't think it's a popularity issue. Yeah. Uh, I think it's much more just a slowness on the part of politicians to do something radical and swift. Yeah. I also think when it comes to, like, open prisons and, I mean, we just cannot move on that. We And, and I, I don't know. I think that that's going to change. That's got to change yeah. because you you can't build, there is no progressive prison, quote unquote, that isn't open. Yeah. And we have educational release and work release on right. the books in this country. We can and do it. We, almost, we can do it and yeah. we almost don't. We just shut down a major work, the only work release prison in New York right here in the city was yeah. just shut down. And apparently it was, um, according to a student of mine who was in there, it was terribly run anyway. It wasn't even so it was like this possibility of something right. different. But in other countries, I find it's more politics and extreme laziness and bureaucracy on the part of public officials. These work release programs, what happens when, when mm. you have a program like that versus when you don't? Well, I mean, the ability of somebody to work yeah. while incarcerated is tremendous. You maintain a connection to the working world. You can earn money. 
You can support your family. You know, we think about the circles of people impacted when someone's locked totally. up. You know, to work is to exist in a state of normalcy. Yeah. And so working is everything. I mean, and not only that, you're able to go outside, be in the world. You're not in this bizarre, artificially created, traumatizing environment 24 right. seven. You can engage with people. You could also engage in community service and give back. America has this American exceptionalism thing where it's like, oh, well, you can't import that. We're so different, right? You, you see it in the healthcare conversation. Do you run into the same things here? Like it won't happen here. Our culture is too different. Absolutely. I mean, I get that even before laying out a specific program. <laughs> right. People are just, just in like, general. oh no, you can't come also, I think the thing that I hear most here is, oh, but in America, incarceration is all about race. And so and that's not the case in the rest of the world. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Yes, it is. I mean, we could talk about indigenous incarceration rates in Australia and New Zealand. The Maori are the most over incarcerated population in the world. The system worked very much the same way. Wow. There is a higher number of people of color in prison in the UK. Their percentages are higher than talking about people of color in the US. In post-colonial nations, that's the case. Or if we can talk about poverty as being, that there's always a targeted group. Right. So incarceration is always about a particular group, a targeted group, uh, as and a form of social oppression. So yes, while that's not to say that everyone's history is the same, I'm not trying to flatten it right. in that way, but the issues around race and class are, omnipresent when we talk about prisons. And so I think that's usually the first pushback I get. And I think, I mean, I'm always mindful of saying, look, cut and paste justice is what got us in this mess to begin with. Yeah. So I'm not advocating that we should all just go follow, you know, copy this and copy that. But there are a lot of really worthwhile things that we can learn from, yep. especially when it comes to restorative justice practices. Can you school me a bit on restorative justice as an idea? What is restorative justice? Restorative justice is, an, it's a, in a nutshell, it's an approach to harm. And I say, again, harm, not crime. It's not about what gets labeled as crime or not. It's about an act of harm. Not to, de not to derail us too much. Why are words so important to you in all of this work? I'm an English professor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the terminology no. seems the termino really important. Yeah, language yeah. matters because we throw around, I mean, of course, we know that terms like convict and ex-con and, you know, are the otherism words. Yeah. yeah. But I also think we have to really be as literal as we possibly can when we talk about this stuff and really be clear about what we're saying so a crime is a socially constructed thing harm is not yeah harm is you know i experience harm and yeah. i think it speaks to us more so sometimes i think that we can depersonalize these issues by using certain kinds of language that's right. why i'm meticulous about how we speak. Right on. All right, back to restorative justice. So, thank, yeah, you, thank you for the uh, restorative justice break. is basically an approach to harm that asks different questions instead of yeah. asking about uh, who did this and how do we punish them. It says who was impacted and how do we work to restore the harm yeah. that was caused. Let's play that out. In in mm -hmm. the best systems you've seen, I point to common justice a lot. In common justice, the way it would work, generally speaking, yeah. is let's say somebody was assaulted. Yeah. They work with the Brooklyn DA's office and they would be in touch with that person and they would say, are you interested in trying something else other than this traditional system? And they'll share a bit about what that is. If that person says yes, then they will move forward to set up 
a circle and circles are used in restorative justice proceedings. They're generally, I mean, they're, and that's from the Native American basis of the practice. Many restorative justice traditions are grounded in either traditions that come from the continent, different countries in Africa, and Native American traditions. And so they'll create a scenario where you're engaging in dialogue with the person who did you harm. You're sharing, you know, you want to, there's so much literature about yeah. the needs of, a, of people who have been harmed, of survivors. They would engage in that dialogue however long it takes and then create a contract, a series of conditions. Here's what I want you to do. And for some people, it's, I want you to go to school and get that degree that you never got. For some people, it's I want you to pay me back and volunteer here. In and the cases where what they want is overly punitive, do you then default to the state prescribed punishment? How does that work? You if, know, as far if, as I I'm know, sure that's never happened. Like the, that's never happened. So people typically. I think aren't. once somebody is already saying, I want to engage with you. Yeah. They're not, and again, this is not about like it gets often. And one way that restorative justice gets bastardized is that it becomes like, oh, this is all about forgiveness. This is not about forgiveness. This is about accountability and restoration. Right. And forgiveness is some whole other thing. That's for the realm of the emotional or the religious or whatever. Right. Um, this is about reconciliation, restoration, reparations, like stuff that is the mandate of the state. Right. The state can't mandate forgiveness. That's not our business. Sure. So I think it's actually, from my understanding, it's never happened. W- what does abolition mean in your eyes? Well, abolition means the eradication of inequality and all of us living having genuine equity so the perfect system is the perfect world it's a world in which everyone has access to opportunities it's definitely not a capitalist world it's a world where people don't work they just contribute and enact their passions Mm. and that is the world that i would like to see happen Thank you for joining me on What We Don't Know. If you liked what you heard, we post the full interviews on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. If you become a patron, you'll have access to those full interviews plus other exclusive content. 50% of the revenue that this podcast generates goes towards the initiatives and organizations of our guests. So you'll not only be supporting this podcast, but you'll also be supporting some amazing, amazing work. If you'd like to follow us on social, we're at WWDKPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On YouTube, you can find our channel if you search What We Don't Know Podcast. And if you go to our website, WWDKPod.com, you can sign up for our newsletter where we share all the latest content. All right. Hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. Take care.